great day. And uh, let me just tell you why, again, thinking about how, how many of you, how many of you have pointed your children in the direction of your university or your college? Let me see your hand. Lori and I both went to LSU. I played football there. Is it a coincidence that all three of my boys are LSU fans? Of course not. It's not an accident. It's on purpose. And when it comes to even church, or when it comes to anything in life, parents, it's your job to point them in the direction or into the affections that you have. I really don't believe we have a children problem. We got a parent problem. And if you're in the school business, just meet with some parent. You'll know what I'm talking about. The reality is, is that your son, your daughter will become affectionate or they will get into what you get into. And if you're not into church, let me tell you what's going to happen. They're not going to be in church. If you're into travel leagues and travel this and travel that and you don't travel to church, don't be surprised when they travel out of church when they're 18 years old. Don't be surprised when they're five foot five and you told them their whole life they're going to be in the NBA. No, they're not. I'm sorry, but they're not. But they will stand before God one day. And they will be in a hard world. And they will be in a war. It's not if, it's yes, they will be in a spiritual battle. And why are we seeing so many young people, and just look at the stats, that are disconnecting and even, if you will, deconstructing church? It's because they weren't put and they were not given an affection from their parents when it came to church. So not only are my sons, of course, LSU fans to this day, because we went to LSU games and we were a part of that and I'd take them to, to reunions or take them to some of the things that are afforded to being a part of LSU as a, a, a former player. But you know what? All three of my boys are in church today. I have a 30-year-old, a 25-year-old, and a 23-year-old. And they're all serving God and they're all in the church. Even Mason, who is in Capitol Hill in Washington, is still in the church. Come on, pray for my boy up there in Jesus' name. And, and I say that because... It's very easy to disconnect when you're in your career. I don't care what that career is. It's easy to dis disconnect from church. But Lori calls every day saying, you better get yourself in church. <laughs> and uh, the reality is, is our kids do love church. Jackson, of course, is the youth pastor at their, one of the Highlands campuses in, in Auburn. And then we've got Connor, who's on our team here. And it wasn't because I wanted them in church or that I made them be in church or that they were forced to be in ministry to them in pastor ministry. It's just because I think more than anything else, they saw what every son and daughter needs to see. And that is an affection for God. And when they see your affection, or when you have this affection for God, when you're seeking first the kingdom of God, it's going to be, if they see it, and if it's right, it's going to get into their heart. Now the reality is we know that not everyone even with families who have been a faithful to the house of God, faithful to, to the Lord, to the word of God, have we always seen the next generation fall in that same pattern? We say it like this, even God couldn't keep heaven together. What did God do wrong that caused Lucifer and a third of the angels to go wayward? Nothing. We understand that there are hearts. We understand that there are choices and options. But the truth is, I really do believe that we, we in our own walk with God, can make it really hard for people to go away. And that's what we want to see happen in church here at Celebration Church. I want your kid, when they leave eight, at 18 or wherever it happens to them, that they have had such a great experience in church 
that it's just a part of their life. Can somebody say amen with me? That's our goal. And that's why Wave Student Ministry, where are my Wave Student Ministry people and students at? Got a few here. The reality is you had 2,000 kids this past Wave Conference, and it continues to grow. And I think, as we know, but some hundred plus or so churches now are connected to the Wave Student Ministry. They're coming. They're calling Tanner. They're calling Avery. And they're going, what are you guys doing? And they're asking for wisdom. They're just asking for ideas. But more than anything else, they're asking how and why is the student ministry growing when it shouldn't be growing in today's world? And I think a lot of it has to do with, frankly, making disciples. We're up 100, actually we're up 40% from pre-COVID numbers. And that's not just student ministry. So we're up 40% from the 2019 pre-pandemic situation. And many churches can't even get 40% of their churches back. And the difference is we're not just trying to make attendees, we're trying to make disciples. And I think when you're focused on making a disciple, when you're focused on making people who are not just wanting to attend or just going to go to a weekend service and being entertained and getting an inspirational message, all of that's fine. To be inspired is part of the prophetic gift. But the reality is, is that we are also on a mission while we're on this planet. And this is where I want to go today. I want to talk to you parents, but I also want to talk to anyone and everyone that is a leader or wants to be a leader. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says these words. Anyone and everyone who hears these words of mine, when you hear my word, and what? What's the next thing that he says? And acts on them. Anyone that hears my words, and not just hearing my word, and we know faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. I like to say it like this. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. That's why you got to stay in the word because there is everything in this world that will take your faith away. And that's why we stay in the word. And Jesus said, you stay in my word and hear my word, but you got to apply my word. You got to act on my word. You got to do my word. The Bible says he's going to be compared to a wise man who built his house, and we were just singing that song, built for this, who built built his house on the rock. And the rain fell. And the floods came. And the winds blew and slammed against that house. The rains. How many are thankful that the rain has come a little bit? It's interesting that when Jesus begins to talk about this house on the rock, And he begins to talk about what happens to every house. It's going to get slammed one day. It's going to get hit. Life is going to hit you. But notice the first thing that comes against that house or the first thing that falls is rain. Now, what is the predominant message in the Bible when it comes to rain? Is it blessing or curse? It's always a blessing. Rain is a blessing. So notice what he says. When life comes, it's not always negative. Sometimes when the blessings of God begin to fall on your house, many people don't stay in the house of God. So it's not always bad stuff. Don't read this as though everything that comes against or slams against a house is negative. I've seen more people leave God during their times of blessing than in their times of difficulty. You know why? It's called options. They have a lake house. They have a car (laughs) or a moped or a Tesla, or a jet, or whatever else. Before, the only entertainment you had all week was church. 
the only babysitter you could afford back in the day was the babysitting system that we had here called Kids Church. Now, let's go on a little bit deeper. So he says, and the rains or the blessings came, but then, of course, floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. Yet, when that house was built on the rock, which is built upon my word, it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, and there's a lot of people that just hear the word, but they don't act on it. Don't be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer of the word. He says, they will be like a foolish person or a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And then the rains and the floods, and when the winds begin to blow and it begins to slam against that house, it fell and it won't be a fall that will be unnoticed. Great will be the fall. Now here's where we get into the interesting part. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were what? Amazed. I love this. They were not bored. When the crowds heard Jesus speak, when Jesus finished this sermon, or when he finished this dissertation, when he, when he finished giving this teaching, the people, the crowds, were blown, literally that word there means to be struck or to be smitten, to be hit. It, it, it does have a connotation to be, to be flattened, to be pounded. I, I say it like this, they were floored. It blew them away, this generation would say. Why? Because when they heard Jesus preach, the Bible says, verse 29, as they were amazed at his teaching, he was teaching them as one having what? Authority. And then it says, not as the scribes. Not as the scribes. Jesus was different than the scribes. See, Jesus, when he taught, he taught with power. He taught with strength. He taught with authority. They felt it. It was something also that had a connotation to it that relates to ability and competency. In other words, when Jesus preached and teached, he knew what he was talking about. Why? Because he came from what he talked about. He came from heaven. He came out of heaven. But he wasn't just, of course, the Son of God. He was also called the Son of Man. And he also knew what it was like to be in the flesh. And so he also knew... The importance of prayer, that's why the Bible says that Jesus would get up early in the morning before anyone else and he would pray. Some people have said, Pastor Joe, why do we pray at day? Why don't we just pray at night? Because the Bible says, give us this day. It doesn't say give us this night. Part of that is because at night we have a tendency to reflect. We don't have a tendency to look forward. At night you tend to go back over your day. You don't think about the next day. You're like, Lord, you know what? Forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. Forgive me for this. Forgive me. Whereas early in the morning, what are you thinking about? God, I'm asking you when I leave this house, help me to not be mean. Help me to not be angry. Somebody said, are you having a great day? I had not left the hotel yet on Thursday. I said, this is the greatest day of my life when you haven't left the hotel yet. You haven't met people. <laughs> and when the people, when the crowds, when the world connected to Jesus... They said, he's not like the scribes. And what is being said, because Jesus didn't ask them, am I like the scribes? No. 
He didn't have to ask them that. See, the scribes were the religious leaders. They were the professionals. These, if you will, these were the clergy members. These were the rule keepers. Now, I want you to get this, because now we're going to get into the parenting and we're going to get into leadership. The scribes were rule keepers. They were the ones who were all about the rules and, of course, the keeping of the Scriptures, rightfully so. They were called of God to do that, to preserve the Scriptures, to record the Scriptures. They were, they were like the accountants of our day when it came to the Bible. They had pocket protectors and pens and pencils and quills and inks and all sorts of things. But the reality is, is that they were the masters of the law. And as these were the masters or the rulers of the law, the problem is they didn't know relationships. They had the rules, but they didn't have the relationship. And to be frank with you, they didn't care if their rules were applicable to the people. My opinion is they didn't care about people. And it wasn't about the people. It was all about the text. It was all about the Bible. It was all about the rules. And I do believe that God gives us commandments and he gives us statutes and he gives us ordinances and he gives us principles and he gives us values and he gives us his ways. We can read Psalm 119. If you really want to study the heart of God concerning the scripture and concerning the Bible, read the shortest psalm in the Psalms. Not it's the longest psalm. And the longest psalm, Psalm 119, over and over, God, according to your word, according to your promises, according to your statutes, according to your governance, according to your, 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 your statutes and, and, and your ways and, and your commandments, God, I want to I live. The problem is when you are all about the rules and not about relationship, here's what begins to happen. You don't care. And really all you want is behavior modification. And all you're really focused in on, like these that were scribes, and the people could feel it. When they asked after Jesus preached, what are you feeling? Those that were in the crowd said, I am changed. I am different. But the scribes, and I'll be honest with you, I think this is what happened to the scribes. They became so familiar, and they were so familiar with the text and the scriptures, but they were stale. And they'd become stale and boring and disengaged and disconnected, and honestly, just frankly, were just so out of touch with this generation and with that generation that the people knew. The people knew that there was no interest coming from these scribes and from these religious leaders. Therefore, they did not have any effectiveness into the hearts of the people. But Jesus, notice in verse 1 of chapter 8. So when Jesus is finished preaching and teaching, he comes down from the mountain. And when he comes down from his pulpit, from his mountain, if you will, but he's, it's a type and a picture. Mountains were always a type and a picture of God and God's authority and God's throne. When he comes down from the throne or from the mountain, what's the next thing it says? Large crowds 
began to follow him. Pastor Joe, I don't believe large churches are of God. Well, Jesus pastored a large church. And I've been honest with you. I pastored a small church. And it was small because it was dysfunctional. Don't ever say large churches are dysfunctional and small churches are functional. It is small oftentimes for a reason. And oftentimes, apply that same principle to your company. Hey, we've got less sales this year than we did last year. We're doing good. (laughs) Only in the church world do people think that anything large cannot be healthy. And Jesus, because he was walking with God and because he came out of an encounter with the Father and because he lived what he preached, the people knew the difference. And they didn't follow a man who was all about the rules. They followed a man who was also about relationship. And leadership is not just about keeping principles and rules and numbers and having, having this, this picture of, of what kind of sales you're going to have this year or what kind of target or what's going to be the bottom line. I, I worked for Coca-Cola. When I left LSU, I moved to New Orleans to go to seminary at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And when I went to New Orleans, I got a job with Coca-Cola. I was a Coke, I was a Coke dealer in my first early years. <laughs> and in New Orleans, it was big business, I'll be honest with you. And I was downtown. I had downtown New Orleans, 2nd Street, 3rd Street. I had all the projects. I had, I, I was, I was a, uh, well, I was an anomaly in that world. I'd come out of my stores, some of my small stores, and, and I had one particular owner say to me, Pastor Joe, or, well, I didn't want Pastor Joe, although I was a youth pastor. Uh, Joe, you don't want to walk out right now. There's a man waiting for you on the other side of that van, your van. He's going he's gonna to rob you. Just hang here with me. And so about 20 minutes, we're just sitting, we're looking through the window. About 20 minutes, that guy's like. <laughs> and she goes, you can go now. I said, all right. And truth, I would go to my stores in the morning, and then if I'd go back home, watch the news, I'd find out that in one particular case, one of the store owners was killed just probably an hour after I left that store. So I, I, I enjoyed my Coke time, but I drive really fast. I'll be honest with you. I was, I was scared. And um, I worked for the Freeman Company. At the beginning, when I got hired, the Freemans owned this bottling company, the Freeman family. Very successful bottling company in New Orleans for many, many, many years, as long as Coke was around. And it was a family. And some of you probably have worked for maybe Coca-Cola or for some, uh, one of the bottlers. And, and then CCE came in, Coca-Cola Enterprises. Anybody ever aware of CCE? It's the largest conglomerate of Coca-Cola bottlers in the country. They, they began to buy up all of the family-run bottlers around the country. And guess what? It went from being about family and about relationships to rules and bottom line. And if you don't like it, you can leave. Well, I wasn't that upset in the sense that I knew I was leaving. I was not going to be a Coke salesman the rest of my life. But I was feeling really bad for those that were stuck there because this was their career. And what they would do every week, in fact, when we would do our sales team meetings, they would threaten everyone in the room, if you don't like it, you can leave. And there was no relationship. Therefore, watch this, when there are rules without relationship, you will always have rebellion. Parents, if all you know is the rules, and I'm a rule keeper, and I'm a rule giver, but the reality is, is if you lead with rules, 
you won't have a relationship. And what's so good about God and His leadership, when He comes down and He's teaching, what were the words that we just heard from the Matthew 7 account? He is bringing some truth. He's not messing around. He is ending all of the mixture and the compromise. If anybody keeps my words, he'll be like a man on a rock. If you don't keep my words, you're going to be like a man on sand. The Bible talks about it very clearly. There are going to be people who are going to rise and there are people who are going to fall. He goes through the people who have right foundations and there are people who have wrong foundations. He is cutting down to the chase. With Jesus, he is bringing clarity. There's life and there is death. Then he goes into basically what he's describing is there is eternity in heaven and there's an eternity in hell. And so as he's cutting through the chase, it's interesting that with these strong words, and if you will, these strong values and principles, the crowds don't want the scribes. I'm going to tell you what that's saying. This generation and that generation, and it's the same in human nature, they don't want religious people who could give a rip about people. And there's a lot of people that know a lot about God and you'll never come down to where the crowds are and where the people are. And let's finish the rest of this story because it's all connected. And the Bible says the crowds began to follow Jesus. And then a leper comes out. And this leper says to him as he's bowing, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, listening to him, stretches out his hand and touches him, saying, I'm willing. And immediately his leprosy left him. And then Jesus said, don't tell anyone, in other words, I want you to go show yourself to the priest and present an offering that Moses commanded as a testimony. In other words, I want you to go preach to these people first. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him saying, Lord, my servant is about to die. He's lying paralyzed. He's tormented. And the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come, but just speak the word. I know power. I know authority. I'm a man that has authority. I can speak to my soldiers and they go, and I know who you are. You are powerful. You have authority. Just speak the word, and I believe he'll be healed. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into utter darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said, they blew it. Notice what he was saying. Sons and daughters, those that were called to be in my kingdom, those that had relationship with me, they didn't keep up with me, and they got hard-hearted. They became scribe-like, and they became stale and stiff. And he goes, instead of being saved, they lost it. And he goes, but you, you centurion, you're not even of Israel. You're not even a person of religion. You're not even a, a person that has any kind of background of church or the kingdom of God. He goes, you're going to be reclining with Abraham and with Jacob and with Isaac. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And then Peter's mother-in-law, the greatest miracle of all, is Jesus healing a mother-in-law. And all the men said, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just think it's funny. When Jesus comes into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever, and Jesus touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and waited on them. And when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word. And he healed all who were ill, and this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He took our infirmities, and he carried away our diseases.
See, the difference between Jesus and these Jewish scribes was that Jesus had experienced what he was preaching. See, that's the difference. He had seen it. He had heard it. In fact, when Jesus goes to the water to be baptized by John the Baptist, and as he starts his public ministry at the age of 30, and as he goes down into the water to fulfill all righteousness by obedience, and he comes up out of the water, what does he hear as the heavens open? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I really do believe that more than anything else that moved Jesus, and as much as anything that moved Jesus as he did what he did for the 33 years on this planet, and not just on this planet, but who rules and reigns to this very day, was over his life, and what he knew was on his life, was not just the Father and the relationship to the Father, but the relationship to the throne of God. You see, we live in such an anti-world, or anti-God world, an anti-kingdom world, that this generation has no problem in deconstructing. It has no problem in walking away. It has no problem in living the life that is very opposite of what Jesus just said about those that live with his words and those who don't live with his words. But I think we're also receiving what we have sown. And that is, we have not been truly connected to the next generation. Oh, we've been good scribes. We've told them to do this and to do that. But that's not what Jesus did. What Jesus was more connected with and what Jesus was more concerned about was that they understood that there was a God who loved them. And that what they knew and what they experienced when they said, we're blown away, there's something that we're feeling. I, I call it the Gap Band message. He dropped a bomb on me, baby. Come on, where are my Gap Band people? <laughs> I graduated from high school in 1983, the Gap Band. They were big. I had a jam box. Yes, I did. How many had a jam box? How many had a jam box back in the early 80s? had 19 D-cell sized batteries. <laughs> that was the worst part about that jam box was the D-sized batteries. You could kill people with a D-sized. <laughs> and you had to put those D-sized batteries in that jam box. And I would listen to the Gap Band. You dropped a bomb on me. And that was the strangest thing, seeing me ride around in my little Toyota Tercel. Anyway, <laughs> what he did with these men and what he did with this generation was he was, he was dropping bombs. And you know what? They went, we want that. We have no problem with your bombs. And I say that in this way. We have no problem with your authority. We have no problem with your strength. We have no problem with your conviction. We have no problem with truth. We have zero issues with the strength and the conviction and the straightness of what you're bringing to today's message. We have no problem hearing what you have to say. In fact, we notice the difference between the scribes and you, Jesus, as Savior is that this 
is not just a message that you have just put together and you're just spitting it on us. And you're just telling us what to do. You get down into our world. And you're in our business and you frankly are not just doing life up there or over there. You're where we live. And when I hear about churches and I hear about people saying large churches, large churches are compromising churches. Oh, I think that any church can be a compromising church. But don't tell me that sometimes as Jesus, he had a large crowd. You know why? Because sometimes there is a hunger and a thirst for authority and for truth and for reality. Sometimes there's just a move of God that says, we want it straight. Tell us the difference between right and wrong. Pastor Joe, how did you raise your three boys as PKs? We're talking PKs now. How did you raise three kids that are, well, just depends on who you talk to, relatively normal. Uh, <laughs> but they're not anti-God and anti-church and anti-kingdom. All three of them are leaders. Many of you guys have known them since we were, frankly, since we've moved here. And the thing that Lori and I have tried to do to the best of our ability is make sure that we're connected. You see, I really do believe we have the most disconnected generation right now, yet we say that they're connected. Yeah, they're connected to technology. I, I, I think it's true. I've heard it said like this. This generation today is connected with their thumbs and not with their tongues. I've seen families at Cracker Barrel. They're not even talking to each other except through cell phone. What do you want to order? <laughs> hey, can you get me another Coke? They're not even looking up. I really do believe that probably as much as anything, the greatest battle that we're having right now is with that dumb phone. The five major issues and the five major battles that this generation is facing, psychologists will tell you, Number one, it's anxiety. It's depression. Anxiety, depression, fear. Actually, that's kind of two. I'm dealing with the anxiety. It's just, it's fear. The second thing would be depression. Mental health. Third thing will be shame. You know where the shame comes from? Pornography. As much as anything. Bible College had a friend, in fact, a, one of the great preachers and teachers, Josh McDowell, go and preach to the school. 300 Christian college students, and he spoke on the battle of pornography and the battle that is absolutely raging in our world today with, with as young as eight years old. 100%. 100%. And as he was preaching on this greatest battle that he thinks is where he's bringing most of the shame, and pornography probably being the greatest battle that's facing the church right now. The principal or the president of the college was actually upset. He said, I can't believe that you're speaking on pornography to this Christian body of 300 students. They did a survey after he, they just wanted to find out. All 300 students, male and female, are dealing with pornography. The pornographers will tell you, if they can get your kid by 11, they're going to have your kid for the rest of their life. And I'm telling you, 
we're in the dark if we think pornography is not in this room and in your kids' rooms. It's a reality. Some of you are like, Pastor Joe, this was a good message. <laughs> don't look at me and I don't look at you. <laughs> this is a back to blessing, I thought, but now it's back to a curse. I don't want to talk about it. Arise, cry aloud, lift up your voice in the nighttime for the life of your students. For they are seeing things as early as eight. And many of you have seen those things since you were eight. It's a battle. It's a battle. And when you look at all the studies and when you even listen to what is a known fact when it comes to prisons, ask the prisoners. In fact, the prisoners will tell you, the rate of pornography addiction to violence, almost 100% of the population in prison, there was an addiction to pornography. The violent offenders will tell you that. It goes with it. You know why? It hardens your heart, it hardens your spirit, and it hardens your mind. The Bible talks about this in Timothy. Paul says you can get to the place where your, your conscience is seared as with a hot iron. It, it sears you hardens you. It, it coats you. And you don't feel anymore. And you can be in the Bible. You can be in church. You can be in the kingdom of God. And then yet your mind and your eyes, like Job, it can be in the unclean thing. The third thing, that, the fourth thing I want to say that this generation is dealing with is loneliness. Lonely. It's a lonely generation. It's a friendless generation. And I think a lot of it has to do with what we've just come out of when it comes to this pandemic. And I really do believe, I think the last one, I just put it in this way, I think it's apathy often in our homes and parenting. And what I want to just give you for the next few moments before we go, because we're going to run out of time. Parents, you've got to make sure that as the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, give these commandments, these statutes, these judgments, verses 1 through 7. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want you to teach this to your family. I want you to apply it to your own life so that, so that your son and your grandsons or your daughter and your granddaughters will fear the Lord, keep His commandments all of their days. That people would be careful to understand that this world didn't come from itself. See, that's where I come back to that apathetic parenting. I think I think the last thing that this generation and all that connected is, is in their belief system. They don't have a biblical worldview. So when you don't have a Bible, when you don't have, when you don't have understanding of intentional parenting to the ways into the church and to the kingdom of God, guess what? The worldview of sin is not going to be biblical. The worldview of pornography is not going to be biblical. The worldview of life, the worldview of treating people, the worldview of, of death. And so people will have their own laws. They come up with their own ideas, and everybody will do what's right in their what? In their own eyes. So he says, Israel, Deuteronomy 6, make sure that you are careful so that when they come into the promised land, they won't forget. Listen, this country has forgotten where its blessings have come from. We can talk all day long about what we need to bring and what we need to do differently in this country. I'm going to tell you something. It needs to repent. It's cursed. You can't get away with sin. You can't get away with disobedience. It's going to affect you. It's going to, 
And we, we can take that off of our lives. We can, we can bring in the presence of God through righteousness. Now watch this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. And then he goes, verse 7, parents, leaders, it's for all of us. You shall teach them how? You shall teach them. I should have it on the screen, guys. You shall teach them diligently. What he's saying is, you got to live it before you can give it. And if you have this encounter with God, that's why they were feeling what they were feeling with Jesus. That's why they connected to him. That's why they were wanting to follow him. Because a student, a son, a daughter, I don't care who it is, a, a co-worker or, or your employee will not follow you without that authority on your life. I think, let me give you a couple thoughts. Action always will lead to reality. Parents, we've got to make sure that we and leaders are people of action. Come on, say the word action. Always leads to reality. That's why he says, get up. My dad, my mom, one thing about my parents, they were people of action. They had, my dad never, I, Saturday morning, after a football game on a Friday night, get up. What is 7 o'clock in the morning? He goes, Get up, get dressed. I said, well, we're, we're watching Bugs Bunny and the Roadrunner, right? He goes, yeah, but you're not going to lollygag around this house. I'd get up. He'd make me get dressed, even though I was going to go watch Bugs Bunny and the Roadrunner. He goes, well, we don't lollygag. Somebody's spilling their vodka over there by Tito's. <laughs> Y'all better stop all that misbehaving over there. But one thing. One thing that you've always got to do, parents, you've got to make sure that you're people of action. Action brings reality. Number two, affirmation always leads to authenticity. What Jesus was doing was he was, number one, he was a man of action. He did what he preached. Number two, he affirmed them. And affirming someone always brings authentic or authenticity to them. In other words, you're not just dismissing what people feel. Ah, you don't, you don't feel that. That's not your problem. Well, yes, yeah. Listen to them. Sit down and listen and, and, and do more listening than, than talking. And I want to tell you something. That's why Jesus had crap. That's why the generation wanted to follow him. Number three, acceptance leads to security. Acceptance leads to security. I can't, I can't, I can't bring security to somebody if I don't accept where they are. I'm not saying that they don't need change. I'm not saying that there's not going to be some needs to, to bring some balance and correction. But the reality is one thing that Jesus did was he accepted people where they are. The Bible says in Romans, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Take them right where they are. Don't try to change them. Don't try to judge them. good pastor friend of mine walked into a church with an ACDC t-shirt on back in the 80s. Went to this very big, charismatic church, and he was invited by a friend, and the friend went to that church, and so he goes to this church, first-time guest, ACDC, back in black. I'm on a highway to hell! And he's, you know, he's just, and he walks in like this, and it was a big Assembly of God church in Dallas, Texas. And he's on the front row, and of course, his friend that invited him is like, oh man, we better turn that t-shirt inside out. And he said, instead of the pastor coming to me and correcting me as a first-time guest for wearing an ACDC concert t-shirt, he says, he just went, man, I like that t-shirt. 
That's a good t-shirt. And he goes, the walls came down. And he goes, I'd go back to that church the next week and the next week, and I gave my life to Christ, and now I'm in the ministry. He didn't go, what are you doing wearing that t-shirt? That's, that's what was blowing away the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus would go and he'd get a crowd of sinners. And the Bible says he's eating with sinners. Well, what is he here to do? Don't want to hang out with your boring scribe self and do another Bible study in a precious moment? He doesn't need any more precious moments. The most precious moment on the planet is when somebody gives their life to Christ and when somebody comes out of darkness. That's, that's the best. All right, enough. Appreciation leads to significance. Value. Appreciation leads to significance. That's what Jesus, when he heard the Father say, I value you, you're my beloved son. And that's what will make someone stand out. When my boys would get out of the car every day when they were in school, you're the champions. We're not the Jadlows. We're the champions. <laughs> now, they have their own definition of their name. What does Jadlow mean? Warrior. And so the reality is, is that we would, we would declare them and say over their life, this is who we are. You're not the same. You're different. Affection leads to lovability. My mom and my dad were tough people, but let me tell you something. They were affectionate. Until the day they died, they were hugging me, loving me, kissing me. My dad used to say, Joe, and he was a big NFL football coach, football player, big man, tough man. He used to say, if you don't kiss me before you go to bed every night, if you're in this home, the day you stop kissing me is the day Santa Claus will never visit this house again. <laughs> He'd have a vodka and Sprite in his hand, a bourbon and Coke, and a chew in his mouth. Come here, boy, give me a kiss. <laughs> My mom didn't kiss him for 30 years for that reason. That's a whole other dysfunctional family situation. But my dad, my dad knew the power of affection. He, he knew it. My mom died this way. Watch this. My mom, in her last days, I said, Mom, are you tired? She goes, I'm ready to go with, be with the Lord. Yes, I'm tired. Lori was there. My kids were there. And I said, Mom, and I felt it. I sat on the bed. I said, if you're tired, I'm going to pray. He's going to take you. We don't know how much longer she had. It could have been days. But I sat down. And I said, okay, Mom, I'm going to pray. And I just felt it. It came out of my mouth. When I pray, as I touch you, he's going to take you. She goes, I'm ready. I've given my life to Christ. I said, Okay. And when I said, Lord, I give you my mother, she died. She didn't die. She just went to heaven. I've had people say, would you come and pray for my mother? <laughs> How old is she? Oh, 52. No, I'm not. Right would you pray for my husband? <laughs> pray for my wife? No. I'm not, the minute, I'm not Dr. Kevorkian. We don't do that. And I watched my mother go to heaven, literally in that moment, in a touch. Something was transferred. And it's so real to me. It's so, the, the, the difference between here and there, Paul says, is like 
It's like Kleenex. It's like it's a tissue paper. You can see through it, though there's a wall. There's a separation. See, this is what Jesus lived with. He was so connected to the throne of God, to the Father's heart, that he was able to stay connected to people. And the scribes, though, they were so far from God's heart and so far from the throne, yet they had big Bibles. Mean, mean, mean. And how many know the longer we walk with God, the meaner we should not be, but the sweeter should we be? Oh, and here's the next one, though. Availability leads to importance. you got to make yourself available. He was available. He came where the people are. This is leadership. Action, affirmation, acceptance, appreciation, affection, availability. Here's another one. Accountability. Accountability. Jesus gave a message on accountability. You do this, this is the results. You don't do this, this is the results. There is the reality of God's word. That God is not mocked whatsoever man sows, he what? He reaps. God doesn't send, listen, God doesn't send anybody to hell. They choose it. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. It's a choice. He's given his life for you. He's given his life for the world. He died. That's why the Bible says we've got to preach the gospel. But the reality is, is that nobody is sentenced or, or nobody goes there because that God didn't want them there. It's, that was your choice. He said, I was the way. I told you. I did everything I could. And now you're going to be held accountable. And then lastly, awareness leads to opportunity. Awareness. Say the word awareness with me for just a minute. Awareness. I, I think if parents, this is probably, this is one that I often hear, and I'm telling you, we hear it all the time, and you've seen it in the news. I wasn't aware that he had weapons in his bedroom. I wasn't aware that he was smoking dope. Well, he was growing a marijuana forest. What are you talking about? He had a John Deere tractor, an international harvester. He had bales of marijuana. And you're, oh, I didn't know. I'll tell you why. You let him close that door. You let him have his own world. You let him live disconnected. You didn't act. You didn't become aware or stay aware. You weren't engaged. You didn't get off your mountain. And maybe your mountain might be your money, might be your success, might be your tiredness, it might be your fatigue, it might be your own hurt, your own shame, your own desire when it comes to your son or your daughter wanting to be your best friend and you don't want to lose that relationship. There was a moment in this church's history where the Lord said, you're either going to be faithful to the stewardship or you're going to be faithful to the friendships, but you can't be faithful to both at all times. And I had to make a decision. Am I going to be faithful to the stewardship of this church? In other words, God has given Lori and I a stewardship. We planted this church and, of course, the plurality of leadership and the growth of this church. But it started like Joseph and Mary, and it was a stewardship. And then friends come along, and they want to take the stewardship and pervert the stewardship. See, you've been given, parents, the stewardship of parenting to those sons and those daughters. But if you don't watch it, you might be more worried about their friendships, and then I'll tell you what's going to happen. You'll lose your stewardship. And it is not first friendship. It's first stewardship. It's first the truth. 
And that's what my mom and my dad did. They were very aware, and I was very aware that I was not first their friends. I was first their son. And I've told the story, and I one day said to my dad, I called him one day. We were having a great day in the backyard playing football, literally. I was 15. We were snapping. I was practicing, and he was helping me. And I went, hey, this, hey, hey Jim, and I called him Jim. And it went dark. And when I woke up, I said, what in the world happened? We were just laughing. We were frolicking in the desert, or in the daisies. We were, we're laughing. And he goes, I'm not Jim. I'm your dad. And I never called him his first name ever again. I called him Mr. Champion from that point on. But watch this, guys. My general brother, my colonel brother, and this pastor brother would follow our dad anywhere because he loved us. And he was truthful. And he was true to that love. And my mom was true to that love. And parents, you don't have to be disconnected from your son to your daughter. And you don't have to live in despair or worry about where they will go. I'm just telling you, be truthful in your love and your affection, but be connected to them. Can we stand to our feet all over this place? I don't know how to end this. I'm going to end it the way we did in the first service. The Bible says, cry aloud to God. Lift up your hands to the Lord. Maybe you've never lifted your hands except at a Mardi Gras parade. Well, let's change that direction of your life. Lord, as we lift up our hands today, we have no other God but you. Come on, parents, just declare this. I have no other Lord. I have no other God. I have no other Savior. Jesus, you are the Lord of our house. And Lord, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And as for me and my house, Lord, we declare our sons and our daughters, our grandsons and our granddaughters are going to serve the Lord. And Father, I just thank you that according to Lamentations chapter 2 and verse 19, that when we pray... You will put your life in the life of our little ones. And Lord, I'm praying that they will walk on the way of God. They will walk on the straight and narrow pathway. Lord, it's not narrow because it's legalistic. It's not narrow because it's hard. It's not narrow because it's religious. It's narrow because the world is filled with options and detours and distractions. But Lord, I thank you that your name is the name that leads to life. Your life, Father, is the way to live of love and peace. And Lord, I thank you. Even right now, this year, I pray over this year, this school year, and over every leader, and over every parent, that God, we will be connected to our people and to our family. Lord, we give you the glory. We give you the honor. And all of God's people said, come on, let's thank the Lord for his goodness.